Dear Rick Hahn, Hi, how are you? I'm writing you today because I need your help. For the last couple of weeks, every morning, I wake up, stretch out my arms, take a big yawn, go into my bathroom, sit down on the toilet, and Google White Sox news. And for the last several weeks, I have seen some of the dumbest, most meaningless crap pop up. Ideas like, let's trade for Chris Bryant, or rumors linking us to every possible free agent. Sprinkle in a little Tony La Russa anger, and you can see where my problem lies. By this time last year, you went out and signed Yasmani Grandal. This time last year, I had a co-host, but now he's lost his mind. So as we enter the month of December, I have one simple, singular, wholesome request for you. Do something! The idiot over here at the other end of the nine-foot homemade oak bar won't even talk anymore. He came up with stupid ideas like spelunking and pottery that he finds more interesting than White Sox off-season talk. My wife has been working from home for months. The kids are everywhere. This entire year has absolutely sucked. Will you please just do something? Boring. You shut up down there. Ah, this is a stupid idea anyway. Let's just start the show. You're listening to Socks in the Basement, a production of the Broadcast Basement Limited, where every show is 30 minutes of good and comes from a basement bar on the south side of Chicago. Pull up a stool, pour a cold one, and join us right now for Socks in the Basement. Heard everywhere podcasts can be found and always at SocksInTheBasement.com. Socks in the Basement brought to you by Family Waterproofing Solutions. Make sure you give them a call if you have any foundational or waterproofing needs. Protect that basement. I hang out in mine. That's where we do Socks in the Basement. Their phone number's right there on the insignia for Socks in the Basement on the logo on whatever podcast player that you are using, even if you're at SocksInTheBasement.com, the website FAMWS.com. Remember also SocksInTheBasement.com has great stuff for you to purchase for your family and friends that says Socks in the Basement on it, including the Socks in the Basement trucker hat, the official hat of Socks in the Basement. Go get it. It's on sale. Buy it now. My name is Chris. My buddy Dave is off. He's insane. Something, something. He doesn't like Tony La Russa. Meanwhile, the coaching staff is all filled up. Ethan Katz, now officially the pitching coach. Frank Mankino stays as the hitting coach. I love it. Miguel Cairo going to be on the bench. Can't argue about that. Joe McEwing's going to be over at third. Daryl Boston's over at first because Daryl Boston's never going to lose his job. He's Kenny's boy. Kurt Hassler will be the assistant pitching coach. Howie Clark, the assistant hitting coach. And analytics coordinator, Shelly Duncan. And yes, Tony La Russa is still the manager. And we've given our opinion on this ad nauseum. And yes, I'm very aware that now there's a hearing that's scheduled in which Tony La Russa may be changing his plea from not guilty to... I don't know. I'd rather talk about better things that are going on out there. This show comes out on the date that the White Sox have to make their final decisions on arbitration, tender or non-tender. My predictions, which are probably not true by the time that you listen to this. Mazzara, definitely non-tendered. I'm 50-50 on whether or not they're going to non-tender Lopez and Rodon, but I think they should non-tender both of them. My guess is one is gone, the other one stays. And it's really just for depth. So joining me on the phone line, I needed a, like a pepper this week. I mean, there's a, it's been like a couple of weeks where nothing's going on. I'm, I'm bored stiff trying to figure out what's going on with the White Sox. I was like, I need somebody young and energetic 
to join the show. And, and who is more young and energetic than my good friend Jordan Lazowski from Saks on 35th? Jordan, how are you? These intros get better and better. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> Look, man, I, this show comes out the day that the arbitration deadline is. I'm not that concerned about it because to me, I can justify pretty much any of the moves. I, I if, if, it, if while they're listening to the show, a listener knows that Carlos Rodon was not tendered or was tendered, there's an argument for both because let's be honest, he's either depth or they were done with him. Same thing for Reynaldo Lopez. The only thing I'd be shocked about is Nomar Mazzara. Is there anything that could happen on this date, the date that the tenders come out or the non-tenders that would truly surprise you? Not really, to be honest with you. I think the biggest foregone conclusions, if you talk about like the general fan polling, I'd say the biggest ones are Rodan's gone and Mazzara's gone. I think the typical year that I'd probably agree more with non-tendering Rodan than other years, but I think, you know, if, if you want to talk about, you know, you hire a new pitching coach, you got this new philosophy you're trying to bring in. There, there's nothing wrong with running him out there in spring training and seeing if anything clicks. And if not, cut your losses in spring training. It's you, you, you don't the the way contracts work out. You don't necessarily have to pay the full thing. If you're done, if you're kind of before spring training, it's I, I don't see a reason not to run him out there. Um, but certainly. In general, I, I don't think that either way you swing that th- there's no rationale for the decision made um, when it comes to whatever they decide to do with any of these players. One of the real reasons I wanted to have you on today is because I feel like Socks on 35th, the blogging that you guys do, I mean, it's, it's a great website. And you write a lot of articles. You do a good job over there. Uh, you also get a lot of feedback from the fan base. And I'm curious what the pulse is right now when people discuss possible trades because I was going over this with a friend of mine the other day and I said you know the problem is is that everybody's afraid to trade somebody like we know all of our prospects so we value them all so much we're like oh so and so he he's gonna be a star one day do you find that people are nervous about the idea of acquiring talent through a trade because I think it's an inevitability this offseason that we're gonna see a couple of moves made and there's gonna be some names that people know that are going to be moving so they can build this team the right way you know, looking at the progression of the fan base, and we, we've been lucky at Sox 35th to kind of have seen all parts of it. We've kind of seen the beginning of the rebuild. It was it was kind of mid-rebuild. We started things, and it was still just not a very popular opinion among Sox fans to accumulate all these prospects and get all these guys and suck for three years. That was not a popular opinion. I, I didn't blame anyone. But it's those same people now who are like, I don't want to give up all these prospects we've acquired. And, and this is not um, only Sox fans who do this. This is any fan base who goes through a rebuild. Um, any fan base is going to tell you they, they get there, there's this attachment um, to prospects. And it's pages like Future Sox who give you so much information on prospects. You're like, I would never want to get rid of this guy. But at, at a certain point, you know, like you're saying, if you're taking that step forward, not everyone you project is going to make it. I mean, how long ago was it that we were projecting Alec Hansen to be in this rotation by now? And you're going to have names like that that you have to strike while the iron's hot. A name like Jonathan Stever or even Dylan Cease, these are names that have value in what was a very difficult season to accumulate value for so many players. If you can upgrade, there should be no reason why you have to limit yourself to the free agent market. I think in a year like this, 
with so few top tier free agents and for every free agent winner, there's 29 losers. You need to, you need to prepare yourself as a fan base who wants to see winning baseball now to give up some of those prospects. You, you really can't have both unless your name is the Los Angeles Dodgers or the Tampa Bay Rays. Keeping all your prospects and winning is, is the exception to the rule. Not many teams are able to do it. Look where the Cubs are at. Look where the Astros are at. The, the gold standards of the rebuild are, are starting to see, all right, now it's time to temper expectations again. I was looking at the list as you're talking here of the 2017 top 30 guys on the MLB pipeline list for the Chicago White Sox. Like, this is when we were right there. We have Kopech now. We have Jimenez. We've got Robert in our prospect. They're actually, Jimenez is one, Kopech is two, and Robert is three. Do you remember who number four was who has dropped considerably in the eyes of those that watch prospects and even in White Sox fans? Just just off the top of your head, can you guess who it was in 2017? Who was number four at that point? Outfielder. Maybe Adolfo? Rutherford? Rutherford. Like so high up that he was he was ahead of Cease. Alec Hansen was six. Like you said, people were like, "Oh, he'll eventually be in the rotation." It, people are afraid now to get rid of top ten prospects that aren't even at the at the level of some of these guys. Your boy Carson Fulmer was ninth on that list. <laughs> like, I mean, if somebody came along in twenty, like if you had Fulmer now and he was ranked ninth on a list, could you imagine people arguing like, "I can't believe we gave up Fulmer for as part of a package for Yerman Marquez"? Right? Like, there's going to be that argument after a trade, and I think that illustrates your point right there that it's okay to let some of these pieces go. I think people are so worried it's going to be the next Fernando Tatis, but that's rare, isn't it? It is, and it comes up a lot. You'd be surprised reading my mentions or the mentions on Sox on 35th, how often that trade is mentioned. And if you let that one trade determine how you're going to play baseball and run your organization, you're not going to be very successful because you're going to be too risk-averse to do anything, to pull any plug that isn't deemed, quote-unquote, safe. I don't think there's any world in which trading a bunch of prospects is necessarily safe for either team. And there was nothing safe about treating Chris Sale for Johan Moncada and Michael Kopech. And there was nothing safe about the Red Sox trading for Chris Sale. There's levels of risk in every transaction that's made. And this is purely from just a very, obviously, analytical, mathematical perspective. You just, you're trying to minimize the amount of risk you're taking on, on both sides. And minimizing risk doesn't mean assuming no risk. And if you're trying to just take on no risk situations and not trade for anybody or not give up anything, well, well there's fault in that too, because it, you're, you're risking that these guys don't pan out. If I had told you I want to trade Alec Hansen in 2018, you would have called me nuts. Look where we are now. It, it, there's so many different levels of risk. And even those situations where you perceive that there is no risk, where I just keep my organization the way it is, well, there's risk in that doing that as well. Because value drops, and sometimes in cases like Fuller or Hanson, drops off the table. And there's no value now to trade these pieces for. You talk about Rutherford. Fourth overall prospect, could have probably gotten a decent haul for a young 19-year-old. Now it's like, can this kid hit above the AA level? We don't know yet. And there's no value there either. So it's the game you got to play with this risk factor. And the reality is there's risk in every transaction. Not making a transaction is just as risky in many cases. Is there a guy right now that's sitting down there in the minor leagues or maybe even 
on the roster right now, but, let, but maybe we just keep to the prospects. Is there somebody that you would totally cringe if they traded right now? If it brought back a good haul, if it brought back a piece that you were like, wow, that's a front end number one, number two starter, or that's a guy that we've got control over for the next three, four years that we already know is a good player. Like, is there somebody that you would still cringe or a couple guys that you would still be like, I, I would rather not give them up right now. I would, there, there are two names I'd balk at and I just kind of stop and, and assess the return. It's Vaughn and Kopech. I still think, that the value you're going to get out of Kopech is higher than what he has right now. So if you were planning to trade him, it would have to be after this coming season when he's accumulated a little bit more value. He shows he can pitch at the major league level. You're, I, I don't think his value right now is as high as it could be. It could also drop from here too, but it's about trusting the prospect at a certain point. Um, in terms of Andrew Vaughn, I, I think he's someone where – you know, I, I went to spring training back before everything closed down, and I was really down there. I'm just, I want to watch these guys. And I was just so impressed by Andrew Vaughn. I, I don't typically get that impressed during spring training. I'm just there to enjoy myself. I was so impressed by the way he handled his at-bats that it's almost like that feels like such a sure thing to come after Jose Abreu. That, that I'm going to hesitate there as well. I'm not saying anyone is off the board. I don't think anyone should ever be off the board. Um, those would be the two where I'm like, eh, do I really want to give them up? And I really have to assess what I'm getting in return. And Vaughn seems like the kind of guy who could actually be up here playing very early on in 2021. Although I expect them to, of course, play games because that's how the rules work. And unless he does something like signs a deal in the off season, I wouldn't see him at the beginning of the year. Do you think he's one of those guys, though, that shows up that early, like once they get past the limit where they get that extra year of control, where they're like, okay, get him up here? Or is he a guy that works his way in later on in the season? I have a feeling he might be someone that they play around more with that Super 2 type deadline in June versus trying to bring him up when they earn that eligibility in April. And the reason being, he hasn't played above high A. Everything we've seen and heard is positive. They love the makeup of this kid. I just raved about him. But he's got to do it in-game at-bats, too. So I wouldn't mind, you know, skip double-A. That's fine. A couple months in triple-A, get his feet under him, get some major league or some minor league live at-bats back against him and see what happens. I'm sure he's just going to tear up triple-A. And it's kind of weird skipping double-A versus skipping triple-A. But either way, just getting him some at-bats and, Getting those reps, I think, will be important just because he hasn't played above the uh, high A level. And I prefer to see that before trying to rush him to the major league level, personally. I think there will obviously be some service time games played. But at the same time, I think these are a little bit justifiable simply because he hasn't played above a ball. Socks in the basement listeners do the hard work. And if you're a hardworking man or woman on the South side, you need to be outfitted properly. And that's why you should visit Red Wing Shoes in Evergreen Park, New Lenox, and Geneva. A work boots specialty store that carries sizes from 6 to 16 and feet as wide as 4E. A 115-year-old company that came out of Red Wing, Minnesota. And one of its largest stores in the entire Midwest is in Evergreen Park, Illinois, ever since 1976. When you're on your feet, the footwear is everything. So why not get an expert fitting? They warranty, repair, and offer free conditioning with laces. 
and they also carry Carhartt work clothing as well. Located at 3347 West 95th Street in Evergreen Park, Illinois, at 208 East Maple Street on Route 30 in New Lenox, or at 1749 South Randall Road in Geneva. Visit them today. You work hard. You've earned it. Red Wing Shoes. Okay, I got two more questions. Jordan Lazowski from Sox on 35th before I let you go. The, the final one's a fun one. Before we get to that one, give me the one rumor that you really want to be true that's out there right now because there are a ridiculous amount of them. I keep uh, feeling like uh, Sox going after Springer is a prevalent one that people are trying to talk mm-hmm. about or at least push out there. Uh, the idea of maybe trading for uh, a pitcher like a Yerman Marquez or a Lance Lynn, uh, uh, you know, the the signing of a Jake Odorizzi. I've seen a few things on that. Uh, the Chris Bryant thing bothers the heck out of me because, yeah, he's a good player, but I think you're getting him for one year. I don't know what you're going to give up for him, but you're going to give up a lot more than any other team in Major League Baseball because the Cubs don't want to be fleeced in that one by the White Sox. You're going to pay a premium for him, and he's not a perfect fit. But what is the one thing that's out there right now, rumor-wise, that you've heard that you that you want the most and think is plausible? Oh, that's an interesting one, isn't it? It's got to be plausible, too. It can't be one of these ones right. from an account that's got like four followers that keeps pumping out some ridiculous thing. But there's a few plausible ones out there that I'm I'm just wondering, like, which one are you like? That one's got legs, and I'd like to see it happen. I want the Springer one to be true the most. I think right field, even in the long term, I don't feel very confident in a solution for the White Sox. I, I don't – I think – any other option kind of feels like it's going to be a one-year move, and I don't necessarily like the feel of that either. Um, Herman Marquez, I'm not as enamored with as many people. I think he's a great pitcher. I think he would be a front-of-the-line top-of-the-rotation pitcher. I, I think that the cost, for me personally, is going to be more than what he will put out on the field, just my personal thoughts and opinions on him. Um, but I would certainly not be mad at trading for Herman Marquez and getting that guaranteed name at the top of your rotation. Um, but, but I think when you look at what are the options, what does the farm system look like? What does free agency look like over the next couple of years? I, I think there's just such a hole for the White Sox in terms of right field play. That would be a four year solution at the very least in Springer. And then you don't even have to touch the lineup for three more years at the very least. You sign a couple of bench guys and you call it a day. You can focus all your money on pitching for the next couple of years. And I think that's how I prefer to just have such a lockdown solution in the lineup that there's no reason to feel like, oh, I got to patch a hole here and here. And then now I'm working with limited funds. Just put all the funds towards pitching. Speaking of pitching, here's the fun question. All right. Is Mark Burley a Hall of Famer? Mark Burley has to be one of those guys you grew up watching and that you love. Yep. Is Mark Burley a Hall of Famer? I'm going to be, I'm very biased about Mark Burley. Let's start there. <laughs> my, my story on Burley is I used, when I was a pitcher, I was not a very fast pitcher. Um, I didn't have good to great stuff. Um, but before, and this is something I just remember doing before every start, I want to say like starting my sophomore year or something like that, high school, I would watch Mark Burley's no hitter, or excuse me, perfect game. Every single time I went out there to pitch. The reason being that it, it just felt like it was a good reminder that on any given day, you can be the single best pitcher on the mound and the talk of the town. 
Like, you don't have to have the world's most overpowering stuff. Any given day, you can be perfect. And that was always a good mindset to kind of frame yourself in as a pitcher, as you're going in, getting ready for the game, getting mentally prepared. That was something I had adopted, um, which is why I'm rather biased on Burley. Now, that being said, my heart says yes. and There are numbers that support it. I think if, if you compare it to the average Hall of Famer, it's going to be a Hall of Very Good situation, kind of like Canerco. Um, I think he'll garner more votes than Canerco and more consideration. He'll kind of end up like an Andy Pettit type sorts where he's getting like 25, 30% of the vote really never gets there. But I think if you compare it to those he's playing against and the type of pitcher he was and who he represents that we're likely never going back to 200 innings pitch, you can guarantee that 10 years in a row, you can guarantee I'm getting 200 innings out of you. You have a better argument there when you compare it to those he was around versus the average Hall of Famer. That's a long-winded way to say probably he'll get 25 to 30% and kind of sit there. It doesn't mean he doesn't represent some of the best pitching of that era and what it meant to be a pitcher in the time that he was around. Do you vote him in if you had a vote? I would. Good for you. I would too. I would too, Jordan. It's okay to say it. I it feel like I feel like after the whole Harold Baines making the hall and the way the entire country was like against us when we were like, yeah, he should be in the Hall of Fame, but everybody else was like, no, he shouldn't. White Sox fans are afraid to say that Mark Burley should be in the Hall of Fame, but I'm loud and proud, man. I would vote for him. I would. I I think there's something about him as a pitcher, as what he represented. That is hall worthy, even if all the numbers don't necessarily um, line up with what your average Hall of Famer is statistically. Um, I I don't know. There's something about the quality of the player, and maybe it's just I'm a proponent of a larger Hall of Fame in general. If you're going to the Hall of Fame with your son and you're just a random, you're not even a Sox fan, you're a random fan of a random team. And you come across Burley's plaque. Is there some sort of story that feels Hall of Fame worthy to you? And it's, yeah, he was two time, no, or one time no hitter, one time perfect game, World Series champion, and this dude never threw above 91 miles an hour. Like, like that, that's a Hall of Fame story to me. That's something I want to go there and tell my kid about. And that's kind of outside of the numbers, that's kind of the. I less analytically inclined way that I look at Hall of Fame. Is there something I can tie that player to and say, yes, I can, I can make a Hall of Fame type story for him. That's Jordan Lazowski. He put that very well. And if you want to read him, put things very well. It's, he's a wonderful read uh, when he breaks down things for Sacks on 35th. Jordan, I appreciate you jumping on Sacks in the basement. Thanks a lot, bud. Absolutely, Chris. I'll talk to you soon. Hey, honey, what's this? Village Batch handcrafted Greek goods. Three brothers, Southside born, diehard White Sox fans, and they sent us a box of goodies. Ooh, what's that? Organic extra virgin olive oil. Oh, what's that over there? Raw organic honey. There's also balsamic vinegar, olives, sea salt flakes, organic dried herbs you can use in any of your recipes. These guys are great. All of their products are sourced directly from small scale family farms in the Arcadia region of Greece. They pay a premium for the crop, package, import, and self-distribute the products. And by doing that, they get a very fresh premium product without breaking the bank. And you're gonna love the olive oil. 
they don't filter it. That means more flavor. That means it has more health benefits. This sounds great. Where do we get more? They're at Pete's Fresh Market, Mariano's, over at County Fair Foods on Western. Now get 25% off all online orders using the promo code BASEMENT at villagebatch.com. Remember, you can give us a call anytime, 708-459-8406. Leave a message, discuss anything that you've heard on this show, or jump in with anything you'd like us to talk about. We would love to hear from you. Just call that up anytime, 24-7. Leave a message, and you might hear yourself on Socks in the Basement. Let's get to that last question that we explored with Jordan Lazowski. Is Mark Burley a Hall of Famer? And you heard me tell him, yes. Now let me tell you why, because we didn't truly get into it. First off, win total. A lot of people have said, well, 300 wins gets you into the Hall of Fame, right? There are only 23 pitchers in the Baseball Hall of Fame total that have 300 or more wins. There are 81 pitchers, though, in the Hall of Fame. Not all of them are relief pitchers that got less than 300 wins, and not all of them had shortened careers. We're talking about guys like Bob Gibson, 17 years only ended up with 251 wins. The average pitching Hall of Famer only had 246 wins over their entire career, and the average Hall of Famer pitched for 18 seasons. Pedro Martinez, 18 seasons, 219 wins. Jim Bunning, 17 seasons, 224 wins. John Smoltz, 21 seasons. Remember, he became a reliever, but the majority of his wins came as a starter, only 213. Mark Burley, 16 seasons in the majors, 214 wins. In fact, if he went in to the Baseball Hall of Fame, he would be ranked 53rd on the list ahead of Smoltz, ahead of Drysdale, ahead of Bob Lemon, ahead of Roy Halladay, ahead of Sandy Koufax. So I don't know if wins necessarily keeps him out, but here's the stat that I love. Because people are always trying to figure out What is the value of a player? And what is the easiest way that sabermetricians tell you the value of a player? It's wins above replacement. Cy Young has an award named after him that's given to the best pitcher every year. This award was named before they ever came up with war and then went back and figured it out. And guess what? Cy Young still highest war in the history of pitchers. 165.72 wins he was worth over his 22-year career. Walter Johnson was at 151. To put that in perspective, guys that you may have actually seen play, Tom Seaver, 106, Greg Maddox, 104, Randy Johnson, 103. Only eight players with over 100 wins above replacement. The average Hall of Famer, 69 wins above replacement. Mark Burley, 60 wins above replacement. Burley's numbers put him directly with Don Drysdale, Jim Bunning, Ed Walsh, higher and more valuable than Sandy Koufax, and would put him in the top 50 of all Hall of Fame pitchers. In the history of Major League Baseball pitchers, he would rank 65th overall. So there are a few guys whose wins above replacement are higher than Burley's who are not in the Hall of Fame. So it's not an automatic thing, but the argument can clearly be made. And as Jordan went into it, the man has a no-hitter, a perfect game, four gold gloves, five all-star appearances, an all-star victory, a World Series ring, a World Series in which he started game two and finished game three. He has six 15-win seasons, 
14 of his 16 seasons, he had 200 innings pitched. And guess what? They were consecutively. The first and last year were the only years that he did not pitch 200 innings. He never had a negative war season in 16 years. And let's not mention that the White Sox completely screwed up by giving money to John Danks instead of Mark Burley at the end of his career. Sorry that dig is needed. It should never be forgotten. That was a terrible evaluation of talent. For what can be written on the Hall of Fame plaque, for the accomplishments that he had, and for where he would sit among the best in the Hall of Fame in terms of his wins above replacement and the wins that he's gone out and earned in his career and the era that he pitched in, he should definitely be under consideration. And I think within the 10-year period, when voters are out there looking at his name each and every year, he should increase. I believe Mark Burley's a Hall of Famer. And I hope the White Sox as an organization are pushing for him to make it into the Hall of Fame as hard as they pushed for Harold Baines. Final point, if Jack Morris is in the Hall of Fame, where he only gets 43 wins above replacement over 18 seasons, two more than Burley, with the highest earned run average of all Hall of Fame pitchers over his career at 3.90, Mark Burley's a Hall of Famer. We'll have reaction to all the arbitration dealings and hopefully Rick Hahn will do something soon. We'll talk to you again on Saturday here on Socks in the Basement. If you've missed any episodes, go back, take a look at them on demand anywhere podcasts can be found and always at SocksInTheBasement.com. Bye-bye, everybody. Socks in the Basement. Socks in the Basement. Socks in the Basement. Socks in the Basement. Heard everywhere podcasts can be found and always on SocksInTheBasement.com.